Welcome in. Wednesday live chat for this week's Sanderson Farms Championship. The Chicken Open is here. The next hour is generally what I block off for these, but I'll tell you what, a little light on comments. Maybe people are into golf. I don't know. I don't know. I like the Chicken Championship. We'll see if everybody else does come with their questions, comments, and concerns. Get them in the chat. I'll go through as, as many as I can. We'll talk through this field, this golf course, ownership, Um pivots, really whatever else you want to talk about. I'm going to show you my website. It's rickrungood.com, giant golf database dedicated to fantasy and betting. I like it. You should probably go sign up for it. Um, all right, let's jump into it. Hank Hill says, is Molinax a fade in GPP since he has become chalky? So if we open up the cheat sheet, um, and you guys know this if you've been following along. So Mike Cavalunas uh, joined the team starting at the Fortinet. So now he is managing all of the ownership projections. He is way better at it than I am. And there's already been like five or six updates this week, whether you've noticed them or not. Uh, they've been going into the website. So um, we have Trey Mullinax at 12.5% projected ownership. That is pretty much on par with everybody in this $8,000 range. Almost everybody between 8 and call it 13 so I don't think that there's a ton of natural pivots, at least in that range. If you wanted to go a little bit lower or a little bit higher up, we could have that conversation. So I, I don't think this is a pivot that is or a fade that would just be ownership driven. Um, I was not very bullish on Trey Molinax at the Fortinet Championship, and we kind of we, we got away with that, right? He was he was popular. He missed the cut. Um, but look at the way he did it. He lost four strokes with the putter. I, I'm actually probably more bullish now on Trey Molinax than I was in Napa. Remember the question that we asked was, hey, has he really found something on approach, gaining in five straight, or is that an outlier? And is he going to be able to recreate that after a month off? Well, the answer to that question was, yeah, he was able to recreate it. So maybe he found something. So I'm actually quite um, much more bullish on, on Molinax this time around than I was in Napa. So we got away with that miscut um, two weeks ago. And then it also helps that he's gained 12 strokes in the ball striking categories in his last six rounds at the Country Club of Jackson. That includes a T4 uh, last year which was 2021. Yeah, sorry. The swing season always messes with me with years and seasons. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on him, and I, I don't think that the ownership is out of control. Thanks for the question, Hank. Matt says, any prize picks leans now that those are out? Um, so I tweeted out these two, which were Russell Henley over 13 uh, greens and regulation, Sahith Tagala under seven and a half fairways. So you can use the same thought process for a, a lot of these. Um, so if you look at green sizes and green and regulation percentages at the country club of Jackson, it's like 70%. They're massive greens. Everybody hits them. That implies if you're hitting 70% of 18 greens, what is that? 12.6, right? So average, if you have in theory, if you have an average uh, round at the country club of Jackson, you're going to hit 12 and a half greens and regulation. So a lot of the lines are set at 
13, 12 and a half, 12, whatever. So you just go and find guys that hit more greens than tour average. So Russell Henley seventh on, on the PGA tour in greens and regulation. Same thing goes for fairways. Uh, the average number of fairways that are being hit a lot less at the country club of Jackson. It's 54%, 54% of 14 fairway opportunities is 7.6. So if the lines are like seven and a half, which Sahith's are, and he hits less than the average on any given week because he's 173rd in driving accuracy, you can see why we go in that direction. So um, you can just compare the odds or the lines at prize picks, and you can look at the guys who are uh, better than average at hitting fairways, worse than average at hitting uh, greens, whatever it is, and and kind of make your selections that way. Uh, use the code RICK. Get you a hundred dollar deposit bonus. There's a link in the description. I mean, it sounds easy, but like if you do that over time, you're going to win much more than you lose. Any uh, low seven, high six thousand dollar guys that have grown on you and why? So low sevens, high sixes. No, yes. So that would be let's call it like seventy two hundred down to sixty eight hundred. Um. So I've. I don't think I've grown on him, but like Davis Thompson is 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 quite exciting for me. Uh, coming off a really good Fortinet championship, you could argue Austin Smotherman at sixty eight hundred dollars has grown on me. So let's go to Smotherman, who is generally um, a solid ball striker, and that's what you're seeing, right? He has gained in the ball striking categories every single event dating back to the American Express. That was in January. Okay, so he rarely, if ever, loses in the ball striking categories, and he is kind of this putting popper. So he has the opportunity to pop a pop opportunity, if you will. And the rest of his game is pretty solid. He played well at the Fortinet championship T25 there doesn't get much of a price increase, only $300. And this is, is this going to be a weaker field? What was the OWGR of Fortinet? Probably 180. I want to say, what are we going to get this week? This week is a 209. What was the Fortinet? Um, hold on. The OWGR changed their website. So give me like five seconds to go back here. Oh God. I hate the new website. What are we, what are we doing here, guys? Sanderson's a 209. I'll, I'll have to look. Oh wait, here we go. Okay. So Fortinet was a 235. So this is going to be a, a weaker field than the Fortinet. So now that we have that out of the way, um, God, they should redesign that. OWGR website. Uh, smash the like button, says DFS Chef. That's very much appreciated. Might as well subscribe uh, while you're there. I know you love to core cascade all capitals, as as do I, but have begun to use your lineup optim but have you begun to use your lineup optimizer or prefer to hand build? Uh, and then ask for a deep dive on Nate Lashley. So I kind of do both, right? So I really only pull out the core cascading in like the 20 max stuff, right? That's just where I feel most comfortable with it. And then really what I'll use the model for uh, would be for any other contests, three max, five max, 150 max. I also use it a lot just to kind of see about builds, right? So I'll come in here and I'll change the rounds and I'll change the stats and I'll just see like what it pumps out for 10 lineups and see who it starts to go with, what our natural build process is going to be. So even if I'm not using the model to physically create lineups that I download and then import into DraftKings. I'm using it to see how lineups are generally being built. Also, if you notice, uh, this column is new, the wave. So I don't think there's a wave advantage this week, but you can now stack. For example, if you wanted to only get um, six golfers from the morning wave 
you could build six golfers from the morning wave or five or four or three or do it opposite for PM. So you can now uh, stack those as well, which is going to come in handy a lot this season. I know Davis Riley has a little history on this course and he had a decent rookie year, but what are your thoughts on the possibilities for him this year? Okay. So I think Davis Riley falls into the category of, um, do you trust this guy? Right. That that's, that's the question we're asking because he kind of limped to the finish line last year, right? He missed three of his last six cuts. He played well at the Wyndham Championship and then kind of faded into the playoffs and the ball striking got much worse over the course of uh, the last seven or eight starts. So it's like, do you trust the 100 round version of Davis Riley? Um, I generally do. Luke Wormish, like a six out of 10, six and a half out of 10. I think other guys that fall into this category are going to be Russell Henley. Um, there's another one at the top of the board. Keegan Bradley, who kind of struggled a little bit down the stretch. And I think there's still one more. Maybe it is Davis Riley that I'm thinking of. Um, those guys definitely fall into like whether you trust them or not. And Russell Henley had a longer break. I, I'm a little bit more concerned about, about Davis Riley because he had the four weeks off and he still didn't play particularly well. He played okay. It wasn't horrible. It was only two rounds. He gained a stroke and a half on approach. The putter was obviously hard. I don't mind that. He's capable of doing that. So it's kind of like a lukewarm idea of Davis Riley. I do think uh, we are at the point in the season where if you're willing to trust these guys, you can get access to Russell Henley at probably, I mean, Russell Henley at 16% projected ownership, which is half of that of Sam Burns. Like that's kind of interesting. So it's a little bit of a theory that you're going to have to figure out yourself here. Jay says, Hey Rick, you're the man. What is your favorite play in the seven K and six K range? Also, can you do a deep dive on Carl? Yuan? I believe that's how he pronounces it. Yuan. I've heard other people say Juan or yawn. I'm pretty sure he pronounces it. Yuan. I'll try to get confirmation on that. But, um, so here, here's Carl's stuff. And remember he was, Number one in the regular season uh, points list for the Corn Ferry last year. Number two overall. So after the playoffs, that's when um, Justin Suh took over. Played the Fortinet. Was much more expensive, right? He was $7,800. Missed the cut. Is this about the best missed cut you could see? Losing five and a half strokes with the putter. Um, you know, if he goes on to lose two and a half strokes with the putter every single round, he's going to be the worst putter on the PGA Tour ever in history, all that stuff. So expecting some positive regression there. Gained three strokes in the ball striking categories in two rounds. Really, really good. So I'm willing to go back to Carl. You know, your first event on the on the PGA Tour as a full member didn't putt well. Everything else was fine. We know he's got a lot of upside. I'm happy to go there. The other part of your question is favorite play in the 7K range and favorite play in the 6K range. Okay. Sevens, um, let me just kind of look through these guys here for a second. The models kind of like Mark Hubbard, uh, that, that idea of playing approach well and putting well, I think, I think Mark Hubbard is, is kind of interesting. And then, um, Austin Eckroat again, it's the beginning of a season. We're trying to figure out what these guys are. I think Eckroat is in line for a pretty darn good year. Let me just show you his, whoops, his four rounds from last week. Because I think if you don't look at this by round, uh, you can kind of get lost in the mix here. So his first two rounds, he gained two and a half strokes and two strokes to the field. So he was plus basically four through his first two rounds of the season. Lost a quarter of a stroke on Saturday, but it was still a very good approach 
day. He lost it and then a little bit more with the putter. Then he hemorrhages it and loses five strokes on Sunday. And that tanks him to a T64, right? So I'm willing to say a guy that I'm pretty bullish on uh, for the year played his first three rounds of the season pretty darn good. I, I'm willing to go back there. The other the other question was the 6K range. Um, I, I've got a couple of favorites here. Harrison Endicott is up there. I probably also have warmed a lot on Chesson Hadley. He's volatile, but it's going to be that that approach plus putting style of golf that we're looking for. Smotherman's the same price, and he's uh, a much more um, consistent, someone that you could trust a little bit more. Those are probably my big three, but there's some decent flyers down here. Um, you know, we already talked about Carl Yuan. Uh, Augusto Nunez is somebody that I think has a lot of upside, although we're not seeing it. Harry Hall, I think play is better than he played the Fortinet. Like there's just some guys here. Sam Stevens, that miscut the Fortinet was like one of his few missed cuts. We could actually go to the global of this. Like those are guys I'm interested in, but the big three are probably those first three that I mentioned. Who are we picking for first round leaders? Uh, okay, well, let's do this. Let's do Holy Grail by rounds this season, last season and 2021. Can we do it by, I just changed this. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. Um, round across all six tours. Number one player in strokes gained in round one with any decent sample size. There you go. There's the guy. Taylor Montgomery. Would you rather bet Taylor Montgomery first round leader or outright overall? Hmm, interesting. 21 rounds gaining 2.3 strokes per round. He has lost strokes once in his last like 10 round ones. And he's got some popping here. 4 .8, 4.8, 4.6, 5.1, 4.2, 6.2, 7.2, 5.1, 3.3, all of that since February in round one. Pretty darn good. There's that Augusto Nunez guy, right? Look at that. Gets out of the gate quick. This is what I like about him. High upside. These are obviously Corn Ferry Tour results, but come on. 4.8, 5.8, 6.4, 4.2. .4, Gets out of the gate early. Um, Zicheng Dao. 24 rounds has gained three or more in four of eight. Henley's there, Sam Burns, MJ Duffy. So there you go. There's there's the short list. Have some fun with that. 4-0 just says, let's go. Let's go. What's up, Rick? How many players would you recommend in a player pool uh, of 10 lineups? So I probably skew much tighter than most. So like 18, 16, 25 would probably be the most that I would go. I know there are people who would be like, oh, 40, right? 40 different guys. It's there, There's no right answer to this. Um, it's personal preference. Obviously, the smaller the core, uh, the more risk reward you're going to have because if your core hits, you're going to have 10 really good lineups. If your core misses, you're going to have 10 miserable lineups. So I prefer that style, but that is not for everyone. Andy says, Rick, Homa is undefeated this season and has looked great. Undefeated. Nice. 2-0. Uh, at what point do we need to consider his major odds? So we talked about this a lot on the first cut because we do a lot of like early major stuff. I um, I like Homa a lot at majors. Uh, him and Sung JM, I think, are like the front runners to become first-time major winners this year. But I do worry that Homa is such a fan of the game and a historian of the game. Like he was basically out of the open championship because he was playing with Tiger Woods, right? He, and he was just like, I'm just going to watch Tiger and I'm playing with Tiger and this is amazing. And it's like, great. 
this would have been a really good setup for you. Or this like could have been a decent setup for you. So I think we've got to work past that. Um, I wouldn't mind him in Augusta. Uh, Rochester for the PGA Championship is interesting, but let's be real. A West Coast guy uh, at LACC for the U.S. Open where he's won at Riviera, uh, he's won at difficult golf courses like Quail Hollow and TPC Potomac, like that's got to be the spot for him, right? I don't know what his odds are at the moment, but that would be where I'd be circling him. Can you give some thoughts on uh, Will Gordon, Robbie Shelton, and Davis Thompson? So I've, sp I've spoken a lot about Davis Thompson this week. I'm, I'm probably not going to spend more time there. I, I generally, I, I really like him. Robbie Shelton has played has played uh, well as of late too. So he's got a uh, last handful of starts here. No worse than T28. That's in his last four. One of them is a win. What I really like about Robbie Shelton is look at this upside, right? Um, plus 13 strokes gained at the Pinnacle Bank Championship plus 13.9, plus 14.7. When you start to get to like 15 strokes gained in a single event, that's like what it takes to win a golf tournament on the PGA Tour. So the fact that he can do that, when you can get into double digits of strokes gained in whatever field that it is frequently, it's a really good sign. Now, he misses the cut, right? He's a little bit more volatile than some, but but I don't mind that at all. And then Will Gordon, um, Will Gordon might be back right? What you love to see is he drives it well in Napa, hits it well on approach, even putts well. If he's going to lose four strokes around the green again, fine. But he loses four strokes around the green and finishes T36. Um, it's very easy to say, okay, he only loses one around the greens. He's three shots better. Now, where does he finish? Instead of T36, he's probably, I don't know. I mean, do, do you really want to know Fortinet championship leaderboard? We just I, and you could do this for every single golfer in the field, but it's very easy to do for Will Gordon because it like around the green is such an interesting little stat here. So if we give Will Gordon three strokes, uh, he finishes nine under, which is T twelve. Again, we could do that for every single player in the field, but you you get the idea here. I'm taking a wait and see approach on Harris English. Um, you know, he's still kind of fighting back from, from those injuries. He had a good week in Napa, but I, I kind of need to see more. I need to see good ball striking Harris English, not a guy who gained seven strokes in the short game categories in Napa. Um, I don't particularly like that when Gary Woodland's at his best. And when he's healthy, he gains across the board. That's always been true for him. That's not what I'm seeing right now. I hope he's healthy. Let's go. Is Gary, I'm assuming that's Gary Woodland, worth a DFS play? Uh, yes. Yeah. So Gary is like a couple of months ahead of Harris English, right? Where you're just like hoping for him to get healthy, hoping for him to start looking like himself again. He hit it well on his approach uh, in Napa. I'll just pull it up for you. Why am I even just trying to talk you through it? And I, I think he lost strokes off the tee, which is something he never does. Yeah, here you go. So Gary Woodland, 4.9 on approach in Napa. Loses three strokes off the tee. Has not done that since the 2021 Northern Trust. So we're talking about a pretty outlier driving week. Get him back in the fairway. Get him back in play. Lean on some of these uh, ball striking numbers, some of these approach numbers. Putt okay. Yeah, and he's cheap enough where he doesn't have to win, which is always nice. If Burns withdrew, who would be your next one and done pick? Hmm. Uh, if I was trying to be smart and safe, it would be Sahith or Taylor Montgomery. 
if I was trying to be a little bit different and sneaky, it would be Poston, uh, who's had a really good run of golf here, does the two things that you want, approach and putting. Um, it's just been great. That that That's probably the answer. So I'll just tell you, and maybe this inflates the number just a hair. I, I've, in the run and done, the Rick Rungood one and done, I, I picked Sam Burns. I'll just tell you that, right? Like it's the second event of the year. I think I've made it quite clear based on other content that um, you could save Sam Burns. And I don't have any issue with that. I love Sam Burns. You could save him. I don't think you're ever going to get where he's uh, 10 to 1 ever again, right? And I, I, if if Munoz was still in the field, I probably would have played Munoz. But I think that Burns is by far the class of the field. If you want to save him, fine. I do think there's going to be enough love for Sahith, which is fine. Enough love for Taylor Montgomery, which is fine. That I don't think Sam Burns is crazy, crazy popular, but we'll, we'll see. I want to take a second to talk about Athletic Greens, which has become a staple in my daily routine. And for those of you who have been following for a while, you know that I take gut health very seriously. So I started taking AG1 as an attempt to get everything down there under control. And I've been taking it for a few weeks and I feel much better throughout the day. I'm having way less acid reflux and I've been able to stay focused for longer when I'm sitting in front of a computer. It's one scoop of a green drink that I take first thing in the morning. And I know what you're thinking, a green drink? Like, trust me, I've I've tried all of them and most have a chalky or a chunky taste to them, which is not great. Most smell horrible. I'll, I'll admit all of that. Uh, Athletic Greens for me bucks that trend. It's smooth. There's there's no chunks. The smell is is just fine, and it's easy enough for me to get get it down when I take it at 5:30 in the morning. It's legit 75 high quality vitamins, probiotics, and adaptogens. So it's no surprise that I'm actually feeling better. And when I rattle off the benefits, it sounds like it's going to be really expensive. Uh, it's quite reasonable. It comes out to about three dollars a day, and I tell my wife all the time. There is no price that I wouldn't pay to feel good, especially gut stuff, because it controls so much other things that go on in your body. So imagine paying $3 a day to feel good. That's some of the best ROI I could ever imagine. Um, so if you want to get involved, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of um, immune-supporting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. Uh, visit athleticgreens.com slash 300 yards. Again, that's athleticgreens.com 300 yards to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Uh, my betting card for this week actually looks quite different than most weeks. And I've kind of succumbed to the succumbed or succame can't be succame. That's not even a word succumbed has to be the word, uh, to this really chalky world we're living in. Um, if you guys haven't been paying attention, the, nine of the last 16 winners on the PGA tour have been 20 to one or shorter. That does not necessarily, that's not a trend that's predictive, but I think that the factors, the factors that are going into that trend are a bit predictive. One, I think the live guys leaving is a huge boom for the guys at the top of the board. Think about it. If, if we added, um, and maybe it's not this field specifically, but if we added Bryson and Brooks and DJ and answer 
and Neiman and Gooch and who like those guys, Swafford. Um, I'm trying to think who else. There's like one other guy I think I'm missing. If we added those guys to this field, they'd be like 25 to 35 to one or 25 to 40 to one. DJ would obviously be short, like, you know, like whatever. They're all, so they all had like 2% or 3% of win equity. They're not here. The middle of the board has gotten so much softer that the top of the board is benefiting from that. So I bet, um, and I've, I've not done this in probably a year. I bet Sam Burns. And I, and I mean that being like betting the favorite. I've probably not done it in 18 months. I bet Sam Burns. I bet um, JT Poston. I bet Emiliano Grillo. And I bet uh, Davis Thompson. I have I have like one more. I could squeeze in. Um, I'm keeping an eye on the Taylor Montgomery and the Scott Stallings number. I I could I could squeeze one of those in tonight. I, I think the way my card's set up, I could still probably get away with that. But it, I'm kind of in uncharted territory because I I have not I've not bet the favorite, especially favorite this short in a really really long time. So I'm kind of I'm kind of out over my skis right now. Biggest fade this week. Okay, that's a good question. Um, I I I love Taylor Montgomery, and I think he's going to have a good week. But I think if you start to look at the 25% ownership, um, the fact that he gained 11 strokes with the putter last week, he's not going to gain 11 again, but he's a very good putter. So it's, you know, he could gain four or five or six or something like that. And it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be super crazy. If, if I removed Taylor Montgomery's name and, and know that I really love him, if I looked at this stat profile, minus a stroke and a half off the tee, a uh, half a stroke positive on approach, a quarter, a three quarters of a stroke around the green and 11 with the putter, it would be an instant fade for someone who's going to be 25% owned. I also think that the other guys in this 9K range are also very appealing, right? Scott Stallings and Danny McCarthy and Emiliano Grillo and Davis Rott, like that, you know, like I, I just am not going to get there uh, seemingly on, on, on Taylor Montgomery. How do you determine which golfers are close to rebounding after a downturn in play? For example, English or power? Your guess is as good as mine, Brian. I, I mean, I, I, I'm just trying to do a little bit of educated guessing, do a little bit of trend, you know, stuff, try to find out if anybody knows what these guys have been up to. Um, I think in general, what we've seen is that golfers after a longish layoff generally go back to their baseline. Generally, there are obviously exceptions to that. So you could look at Seamus Power and say, man, he's been horrible, which we're looking at his stat profile right now. But if he gets back to his 100-round or 50-round baseline, he's much better. In fact, let's look at this. I've not done this, but let's look at this. So let's just do rounds that were played on the PGA Tour just so we don't have to do weighted or anything. So last 24 rounds, uh, Seamus Power is 76th in this field. Last... 24 rounds, Seamus Power is 76th. Last 50 rounds, Seamus Power is 61st. And last 100 rounds, Seamus Power is 12th. Okay. So obviously a huge difference. So we are trying to figure out what version of Seamus Power we're going to get. So I like to reset a lot of the guys after a little bit of a layoff. Um, as far as other things go, 
guys that might be, you know, guys that if you see them, it's not just ball striking. Like if they're getting back to their strengths, right? Like if I saw Ricky Fowler really start putting well, I'd be like, okay, he's getting back to his strengths. He's on the verge. Something's about to happen here. Um, maybe he got a little bit unlucky with a drive or two. There's, there's no real answer. I'm just trying to keep an eye on everything and everyone that's going on and do my best. Who are some of the players who putt well above their baseline, uh, either historically at country club of Jackson Jackson or at this type of course. So we could just do, um, all right, give me one second here. We can look at this a couple of different ways. So I've got this tool here, which is a couple of things. It is, it's called the trends tool. It is going to look for golfers who are on the verge of a putting, uh, breakout or a breakout basically basically they're going to get back to their own putting baseline and they're going to continue to hit it well from tee to green or ball strike it well that that's what oops i guess i should show my screen uh that's what this chart is um kevin Yu, that's probably a small sample size carl yuan small sample size um but like brendan Steele, dylan Wu, david lipsky adam shank ches reavy even taylor montgomery and scott stallings to an extent these are guys that you expect to see a little bit of a boost if you want to just look at guys that putt well on Bermuda, uh, we could go back a couple of, you know, a couple of years. I don't know how far you want to go back here. Do just Bermuda grass putting, get rid of Austin Eckroat, sort by strokes gain putting, find guys with large enough sample size. Ben Taylor only has 18 rounds. Uh, Chesson Hadley here, again, another guy that just kind of pops up a little bit. Um, Thomas Dietrich, very small sample size. Danny McCarthy, no surprise there. Brendan Todd, I'll tell you what, Brendan Todd, I'll do, wait, two things. I got to finish this thought on Chess and Hadley. Then I could go over to the golfer profile and I could go to Chess and Hadley's uh, page here, look at his splits and see how he does on Bermuda versus everything else. And we'll see it's his best putting surface. Okay. Brendan Todd. Um, I sent out an email this week. There's a link in the description. RickRungood.com slash newsletter. Go to the homepage of RickRungood.com. Sign up for it. You'll get it in your inbox every Wednesday morning. Brendan Todd might be lurking. Brendan Todd, uh, very good putter historically. We know that. He's phenomenal. He's one of the best putters on the PGA Tour. He gained five and a half strokes on approach last week, which is his best approach weeks, or not last week, in Napa. You know what I'm saying. That's his best week since, boy, uh, Pebble Beach in 2015. Did he find something? Will he be able to carry that on? If the, if so, those are the two things we're, we're really excited about. And, oh, by the way, phenomenal Bermuda putter, right? Didn't we just see that? Actually, Benton Poa, that's, but that's a, kind of a hybrid strain. And we were actually looking at just the last couple of years. He's like one of the best putters on Bermuda. So, giddy up, right? Maybe? Um, oh, sorry. That's on me. I forgot to do the, uh, the Lashley deep dive. I was so caught up with everything else. Okay. I've not looked at Nate, Nate Lashley's profile in a while, probably because it looks like this. Um, boy. Okay. Well, not sure what the positives are. So results wise, 55th, 57th, miscut, miscut. Uh, T25, miscut, miscut. From T to green, he's lost in three of four. He's lost in five of seven. There's not a stat 
area that I'd be super excited about. The putter's been okay. Uh, I, I mean, this is this is tough. This is tough. Has he played this? Has he played this before? He has two top twenties in his last. See, but this is concerning as well. So two top twenties uh, in his last three trips, but the two top twenties are eight strokes ball or eight strokes putting and seven point eight strokes putting. That's. I mean, he's, he's never, he's played here four times. He's never gained T to green and he's finished top 20 twice, which are like massive putting that that's, that is a tough, that's a tough stat profile. That's a really tough stat profile. Um, Adam long at 6,700 is a trap. No, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. He's fine. Good, solid, likely to finish inside the top 20 upside probably somewhat limited um at 6700 bucks if he's if you you'd sign for a t19 right now wouldn't you probably if he gets you that you'd be pretty happy uh back in on justin Suh, right like no no problem right the guy was super popular last week and missed the cut um did it in not a super great way where he lost two strokes putting but he lost three strokes on approach i would like to see that be different, but I know that he is a better ball striker than that. Like he's not going to lose three strokes uh, every two rounds. So I'm I'm fine to go right back to him. Any major changes to your one and done strategy now that we have more tournaments? No, I don't think so. Get out early, get out often. Uh, don't save guys. Fire away. Be a little bit different, right? You don't have to be a lot different. You don't have to be a lot different every week. And then when we get like a third of the way in, start playing your position. Um, there was a couple of questions about weather waves, and I'll I'll just check again right now. But last I looked, which was last night, I did not particularly see anything that I thought was actionable. Let me just confirm that. So here's Weather Underground, uh, which I like to use, but I know everyone has their own opinion on this. So Thursday afternoon, a little bit windier. Right, goes from like five miles an hour to eleven, but also Friday afternoon kind of does the same thing. So I I don't see any wind uh, weather advantage here. I think the afternoon on both days probably plays a hair more difficult. When you add it up through thirty six, if this is what we get, I think you'll see pretty similar scoring averages. That's my take. Um, this is not a question that's super up my alley. So it says, are there guys in particular that are better for cash and, and double ups? I don't play that. I, I would assume, um, the answer is going to be safer golfers. If you want to find safer golfers, there's probably a couple ways to do this. You could plug them into the head to head betting tool, which I use this for things that are not just betting related, but you can see how often they gain strokes to the field, how often they gain one or more, two or more, three or more, et cetera. So guys that have a really high floor who gain, you know, two strokes per round over, I don't know, 40% of the time, those are probably good, solid players. Um, you can see like Sam Burns does it 46% of the time. JT Poston does it 24% of the time. Um, you could look at it that way. And you could also see that on their golfer profiles. I believe it's under splits. Yeah, percentage of rounds gaining X number of strokes to the field. 
the hat. The hat this week. That is from the Travis Matthew Old Course St. Andrews collab that they just released. So that's the little Old Course uh, emblem there. Travis Matthew. They've got, there's a handful of hats, a couple of shirts. Um, obviously, all good stuff. Mr. Mike wonders about Adam Hadwin, uh, in which I also wonder about Adam Hadwin. He says he's loving the 8% projected ownership. Well, might be too high. Um, Adam Hadwin has been a slight negative in five straight events on approach. He's not driving it particularly well. And even maybe even more concerning, lost two at the player at the BMW championship, lost three at the FedEx St. Jude. Okay, so, so here's the deal. Adam Hadwin is the perfect candidate for the for what we talked about earlier with Seamus Power. What version of Adam Hadwin do you want to give him credit for? He has not played competitively for five weeks. That assumes he's been able to go home, uh, get rested, get his game in shape, work with his instructor, et cetera, et cetera. So if you want to reset Adam Hadwin back to his 100-round baseline, uh, let's do that. So Adam Hadwin is $8,700. His 100 round baseline is 18th in this field. Okay. It's pretty good. His 24 round baseline, 64th. So I, I, I'm never going to have the answer to this question, right? It's impossible to know. I would lean towards giving him credit to go back to his 100 round baseline. Ooh, a Henny Norlander question. Henrik Norlander has finished top five here the last two years, but his recent form has been bad. How are you feeling about him this week? Okay, so this is also kind of a theoretical question. Um, it's always like course history, course fit versus recent form. He's been pretty horrible outside of a T6 at the Nationwide Children's Hospital. He's been, he's been pretty horrible for a long time. He's missed a ton of cuts. There are guys, if you ask all of these golfers, um, if they can show up at a golf course they've played well at and just start playing well, they all think they can. The data doesn't back that up. And Henrik Norlander might go out and play well this week and finish T4 again. And you guys will think, ah, Rick, you idiot. Someone literally handed this to you on a platter. Andy, Andy M handed this to you on a platter on Wednesday. Um, he might play well. There, There is plenty of data that shows uh, reason form is better than course history. And if you ask these guys, which I have, they will all tell you like a hundred percent to a man that they can play well at a place they've played well at before, but that is not really the case. Um, <laughs> this is like a, a, a radio, a radio call in. I'll listen to this in the morning. It's like, Oh, I'll, uh, I'll hang up and listen. Uh, the model put Ben Taylor in a lot of my lineups and I've never backed him before. What can I expect? Okay. So here's his stat profile from corn Ferry tour and his last eight or so events have been pretty good, right? He hasn't missed a cut. He has a second place finish at the pinnacle bank. He has a fifth, fifth place at the nationwide children's hospital. He finished 25th as a $6,500 golfer at the Fortinet while gaining strokes across the board. That's all very good. Um, what I think Ben Taylor is, is like a, he's the mold of one of these corn fairy graduates 
where he's got this 12 strokes that he gained in a runner-up finish in Huntsville, the 12 that he gained in a runner-up finish at Pinnacle. He misses like a lot of cuts, but he piles up top 15s and top 20s, and that's how you get your card on the Corn Ferry Tour. So this is a pretty, I mean, I'm pretty optimistic, right? He's gained in six straight events. He's In two of those, he's gained at least eight and a half strokes. That's a lot. This is generally a pretty good profile, and the fact that we do have the Fortinet where he gained across the board gives me... Um, gives me some comfort, gives me some comfort. So I wouldn't be too, I wouldn't be too worried about that. And he's also pretty cheap. Uh, I answered a lot of these, which is good. Uh, although I am nearing the end of comments. So maybe, I don't know if we'll wrap earlier. If, um, if more are going to roll in here, now's the time. Is Henley going under the radar? Um, well, I have met projects about 16% which would be third in the 10K range. Sam Burns, 34, Sahith, 20, Russell Henley, 16, JT Post, and 12. So I guess you could argue he's going under the radar. Um, you know, he is still such a great ball striker, right? And even though the putter has been um, horrible, you can still see, like, like this is not as concerning to me, where... This stat profile that we saw from Russell Henley down the stretch was pretty on brand, right? Maybe it was a little extreme with the putter. He's not, he, he was, he was really bad. He lost five, two, uh, two, two, 2.7 and four in like six of his last eight starts, but he's never been a really good putter. He's just never, he's just not usually that bad. Um, so it's just a little bit exaggerated, but the approach play, the ball striking still very, very good. Still can get hot. Gains you 10.6 in the ball striking categories at, at Wyndham awesome. So again, like set him back to his 100 round baseline. He's probably one of the best players in the field, right? Let's check. Set him to his 100 round baseline. Russell Henley is golfer uh, 10 in this field. And he's probably the best approach player. Uh, he is of guys that have enough rounds to qualify. He's probably the best ball striking player. He is not behind Luke List, but he's three three, two thirds of a stroke better than Luke list per round with the putter. So over four rounds, that's two and a half strokes putting. Hmm. Not necessarily for this week, but do we have any actionable evidence of hometown, regional college in different areas of the country? Like if you're from the South, do you play well in the South? So I did a podcast on this um, a couple of months ago. It's really hard to determine who fits where. Um, let me see if I can find this. Because you just named it, Jared. What are we giving guys credit for? Their hometown? The region? The state? The college they went to? Where they live now? What, what do they get credit for? Everything? Nothing? I don't know. The other issue is, so the way that, the way that I did it was by state, but um, I mean California is a big state. Texas is a big state. Florida is a big state. If you are from Northern California, do you have a lot of experience growing up and playing on, on in Southern California golf courses on on Kikuya and, and such? Like I don't know. So it should be broken down by ecosystem, but this is a very very messy calculation to try to do. What I came up with is there are some guys who are best in home cooking situations, right? And also what about the guys that like are from um Maine 
and we never play there on the PGA Tour, right? Like, what do we do with those guys? So anyway, here are the guys that play well where they're from. Webb Simpson, uh, Jordan Spieth, Patrick Cantlay, Colin Morikawa, Alex Smalley in North Carolina, uh, Nate Lashley in Arizona. Too bad we're not in Arizona this week. Um, Xander in California, and Dustin Johnson in Florida. But should Dustin Johnson be a Myrtle guy? Should he be uh, should be like a South Carolina guy? Not Myrtle. Uh, Coastal? I don't know. Rick, during the fall swing, are you interested? Are you inserting more corn fairy guys into your core DFS lineups? Yes, probably. It is not, it is not because I just like them more. It's because there's more of them playing. Um, the guys that make the jump are guys that are playing well, right? They've earned their card, they've earned their tour card. So then in turn, their stats are going to be pretty good. So they just, yeah, they end up naturally being in a lot more lineups. Looking at ownership, what type of lineup construction seems optimal? I believe, like optimal. I think if you ran, if you simulate this tournament a thousand times, Sam Burns will be in the optimal lineup a lot, a lot. Uh, so I believe the optimal runs through Burns, and then a nine K guy, and then those high upside seven K guys is the way that I think uh, the optimal runs through. More often than not, Sam Burns might miss the cut. I don't know. But that's what I think the optimal runs through. Okay. Um, maybe we'll end with this one. Taylor Moore deep dive. It's always good to end on a Taylor Moore deep dive. Let's see what we have here. Taylor Moore deep dive. Uh, nice headshot. Okay. We have a lot of data on Taylor Moore. Played pretty well coming down the stretch, except for Wilmington, where he was hard. Lost six and a half strokes on approach. Actually still finished T44. That's pretty impressive. Uh, lost strokes on approach at the Fortinet as well, but was kind of able to salvage himself with the short game, which he's generally very good at. He's a pretty good putter. So he kind of does it in a different way, right? Generally has been putting well and can get these pop ball striking weeks, which is kind of the opposite of, of what we normally look for. But this is still at least consistent and it shows a pop opportunity in some other aspects of his game. This isn't a horrible stat profile. How much does he cost this week? Taylor Moore, 8,500. Mm, it's a little tight. Uh, but I mean, compared to Seamus Power or Harris English, guys that I'm waiting to take a longer approach on, Taylor Moore might be pretty interesting. Okay. I think that'll do it. Longest NFL bet this week. Uh, I don't know, but I'm in the circa millions. So I will make five picks against the spread this week. I have not picked them yet. I am 10 and five through three weeks. So if you told me, Rick, you know nothing about football. You're going to enter the circa millions and you're going to be 10 and five through three weeks. I'd be thrilled, which I believe is in the top 10%. Um, so I'd be thrilled. I've got a little system I'm working on. Maybe I'll divulge it at some point in the future. Maybe in the off season. I don't know. Maybe I'll win a million bucks. I don't know. That'd be pretty cool, right? Would it be pretty cool if I won a million dollars at Circa for the Circa Millions on football and I just told everybody all season long, I have no idea what I'm doing? Wouldn't that be amazing? All right. Well, I guess that'll do it. Um, my wife, Armina, she does all the producing behind the scenes. She's very good at it. Thank you very much. Uh, tonight, there is a Jock Market Power Hour. If you haven't played Jock Market, it's Stock Market DFS. It looks like this, where you buy, sell, short shares of golfers. 
So Max Homa was $8.85 at the Fortinet, got the $25 payout, 16 bucks a share. Um, that's always fun. So back at it again tonight, 8.15 p.m. Eastern time, Rick Rungood YouTube channel. You can sign up for Jock Market, which is getting big, by the way. Football, basketball. I mean, it's getting big. Uh, with the link in the description, use the code Rick. Be very much appreciated. I don't think I have anything else, so I'm going to go eat lunch now. Good luck.